0: Alright, so as we look at this, this text going through verses 13-18, through 18, um, finishing up chapter 3, the point for us this morning is that those who belong to God serve Him. Those who belong to God serve Him. And this seems pretty simple, right? This is something that that all believers seem to to understand, or we can at least answer this question, is is what are we to do with this life? And we can say that we are to serve God with everything that we have, with every bit of our our breath and our life and our actions, our deeds. Everything we do is of service to the Lord. But we've hit this point, and again, I refer to us as, as the Israelites of the Old Testament. It seems like we've you, 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 you get this, this covenant renewal with, with the Lord, and you progress, and you progress, and it seems like our day and age, it seems like everything going on around us is this last rebuke from Malachi. It seems like we're being pushed that way. And, and what I mean is Malachi, and, and Malachi, the Lord is using this prophet to rebuke his people. It's the last book before the Messiah comes, right before we see the prophecy of John the Baptist. John the Baptist enters the picture. The Messiah comes on the scene, saves His people by atoning for their sins on the cross. But you see this complacency. You see this beauty of the Scriptures, this narrative moving forward and progressing and and calling God's people to worship Him. And then they took what was beautiful and twisted it, and made it legalism. They said, we don't serve God out of fear and out of reverence and out of love for Him and His provision for our life. We serve Him out of obligation. We serve Him out of expectation. And now church, we can expect many things to come. The the Lord in His Word has told us there are things that are still to come. But the difference is is our worship shouldn't come from a place of expectation or obligation, but out of love and understanding for who He is and what He's done on your behalf. Obedience to Him. And we see this in our day and age. Maybe you've fallen into this trap. Maybe there's someone you're working in, uh, their life, they've fallen into this trap. Maybe you invited them here this morning and, and they're not doing it but we, we start to go to church on Sunday morning because it's just kind of supposed to. If the church was open on Sunday evening, you'd be there because you're just supposed to. And then Wednesday evening rolls around and even though the Bible doesn't say that you have to have Wednesday evening service, you go because you're just supposed to. You pray because you're just supposed to. You give because you're supposed to. But you start to look at your life and you're saying, I don't really know... Jesus. I know about Jesus, but I don't know anything about him that relates to me in my everyday life. And then we start to look like the Israelites here in chapter 3. And the, the three points I want to drive home our main point of those who belong to God serve him as the distinctly bad, distinctly dependent, and distinctly remembered. And hopefully this message will be distinctly. Clear and evident. It'll be distinct. We'll see and understand what the Lord's Word has for us this morning. So let's start with the distinctly bad. They're bad. It's evident, right? The, the thing is, as we look and we see the bad things as distinct, they're obvious, right? We know things not to do and, and what to do and what not to do. And we see here in verse 13, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? I came to this really hard realization um, in the past month and a half, two months, um, where my wife was giving me um, a critique. Any of you men familiar with those wifely critiques? No? Everybody afraid to speak up about those wifely critiques? Can I get an amen, men? Can I get an amen? That's right. Amen. I was getting one of those critiques. And they're not bad. just sometimes overwhelming to us. And I remember thinking like, I'm on a streak here. right? I feel like this is like a few nights in a row. Aubrey, I'm doing this because... And she says, when's the last time you just took a critique and didn't have some kind of excuse? Like at least think about it. Like it's like you, you just write it off. And... Trust me, this hurts to like share with you all. I'm trying to be vulnerable. And I hope that you, you men and even women realize this that, that we by our nature, which Paul says we're children of wrath by nature, our fleshly nature doesn't want to take critique well. Maybe you've mastered the art of receiving criticism. But inside there's something that still tells you, Am I really, like, am I really doing that? Like outwardly, I'm gonna be like, oh, okay, I hear you, I'll work on that. And inside you're like, not a chance. I'm going to do that. right? We don't want to. There's something in our nature that says, "No, we're not that bad." But we are. Verse 13, the Lord is laying out another rebuke, saying, "Your words have been hard against me." But you say, "How? How have they been hard against you? The distinctly bad is those who oppose God, those opposed to God, and they... Those who oppose God might even be sitting with us and we can look at the life of of those around us and even ourselves and begin to realize that, that we are distinctly bad when we do in fact walk, talk, and work against the Holy God. When we walk, talk, and work against the Holy God. And they want to know, how have we done this? How are we opposed to you? you have said in verse 14, it is vain to serve God. Vain meaning useless. It's useless to serve God. Now let me tell you kiddos, if you ever do mispronounce a word, forget to give out a connect card, forget to say hello, forget to hit the next slide, it's okay and it's not useless because serving the Lord is never useless. Unless you're doing it for your own good. We serve God to serve Him and to glorify Him and to lift up His name. It's not about us. You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping His charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? What profit comes from serving God? Now this is something that we we know all too well. The idea of putting in and getting more out. Right, you think about investment. Right? How many of you all have heard of Robin Hood? The investment app that blew up the other way. Pastor Simon's hand went whoop. He's like, I, I got on this, this new thing. He told me, he's like, dude, I put like a dollar in and that thing skyrocketed. And it started going down. I'm like, get out now, get out now, because we want profit. We want to know that if we put something of ours, whether it be our time, energy, effort, resources, monies, whatever it might be, if we're giving in. We better receive on the back end. We better get more out of it than we put in. Because it's profit. And they've turned their spiritual worship, which was a command from the Lord and is a command for us today, and they've said, how are we profiting off of this? What is our profit? What profit do we gain from obeying His commands? What do we get out of this? You see, their worship has actually turned into greed. We go back to last week's text, chapter uh, 3, verses 6-12. through I won't read that to us, but we talked about how it's not withholding from God. They were were rebuked for robbing God because they were withholding, robbing what was God's to begin with. You see, it, it looks good when we take out our checkbook or we take this money out and we go and we put it in the giving box, as we should. But when we go and we, we do that, even thinking that I'm giving God what is mine, we're doing it from the wrong place. It's an act of worship, giving God back what was already His. I remember having this conversation with, with my dad. I was like, dad, that's my money. I know it's in your account, but that's my money, right? It was before we got my first account set up. Best Buy first direct deposit went straight into his account. And I'm like, that money's mine. You can keep it in your account all you want, Dad. That money's mine. The same with God. They were robbing Him. Just because it was in their hands did not mean it wasn't God. So they've taken the acts of worship, which they were to give out of their life and out of obedience to the Lord, and said, what is the profit of keeping His Word, keeping His charge? Church, greed is not a fruit of spiritual change. Greed is not a fruit of spiritual change. And when our worship becomes greedy, when we walk to the giving box and say, I don't know if I should be giving this, or what am I going to get out of this? Then we've leaned on greed and not on faith. When we we do anything thinking about ourselves and not the Lord, whom we are worshiping through that act with, then it's out of greed. Hey kiddos, can someone bring me a Bible that is turned to Psalm 119, verse 36? Parents, you can help your kiddos. We've got Bibles underneath a lot of the seats. Actually, all the seats with a tray now officially have a Bible. We took care of that. Psalm one nineteen thirty six. 36. Greed Is not a fruit of spiritual change. Thank you, Malachi. If you want, while I read this, you can go ahead and pick out a a little gift for yourself. Maylee, you brought it too. Awesome. This is weird. I've got a prize for you at home, okay? Maylee, thank you. Here, I'm going to hold both of them. You want to stay there, May? All right. Malachi, you can go ahead and pick out your gift. Psalm 119, verse 36 says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Incline my heart, the psalmist says, to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Hey, kiddos, you all want to get something? You all helped? You all can come up here. Both of you, that's fine. Malachi? No? Probably instructed otherwise. Oh man, I love Family Sunday. Yep, take it. That's good. Thank you all so much. Incline my heart, the psalmist says, to your testimonies so that we would be focused not on our will, not on our ways, not on our word, not on our understanding, but on the Lord. And the end result is so that it wouldn't be for selfish gain. We live in this this prove-it mentality. Look what follows here. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. The reason last week in in the message um, dealing with verse 10 of chapter 3 was God said, put me to the test. It's very rare that God does that. And actually, those who put into the test are usually given strong rebuke, usually followed up with a curse, followed up with something that's not good because they are testing God, which shows their distrust and lack of faith in the Lord. But they're living in this prove-it mentality. This is why in the New Testament, I love that it says, you don't have to promise. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We're constantly telling people that you've got to prove yourself. And the issue is is it's within this fallen world. But we've taken the brokenness we see in other people and applied that same logic to our holy God. Church, we are distinctly bad. He is distinctly good. And all this tells us is that we should be dependent Upon him, and it should be distinctly dependent. It should be obvious that we who were once bad, once dead apart from him, have become dependent on him in all that we do. Point number two is distinctly dependent. Church, this morning, if we don't understand anything about the gospel, understand this that we cannot do it on our own, we cannot attain our way to heaven. We must surrender our life to God because we are dependent on him and his blood is the sacrifice for our sins. There's no other way. And they've challenged God. They've questioned his integrity, his nature, his being, his attributes. But look at this. This is where the divide is. You can be a part of the visible church without being a part of the Invisible church. Meaning, you can be here this morning. You're attending this church. Maybe you're a member of this church. You answered all the questions right. The pastor said, we see f- some fruit in your life, some outward appearances of good, but you're not a part of the kingdom because you don't know the Lord here. You fooled us. Guess what? We're men. We try to do our due diligence saying, have you believed in the Gospel? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Yes, we. We praise God for that. But you know your heart. And so does God. And then in verse 16, we see those who are dependent on the Lord. And what's it say about them? Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared and esteemed His name. God's people, church, if you are a believer in the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we should be people who fear and respect His name. Now we talk about this a lot. Fear is not the the fear of of being scared or like, I'm going to do something and God's going to jump out around the corner. It's, It's living with a reverence of awe and wonder for the holy, almighty Lord. It's knowing his nature, it's knowing his attributes. It's knowing what he's done for you and what he withheld from you. Church, heaven is not the destination. A relationship with the Lord is and a relationship with the Lord will lead you to a dependent place saying, I have to lean on him. In everything that I do, I must fear and respect His name. We are also to direct one another to this holy way of living. Kiddos, last Bible drill, so listen up. Hebrews 3, verse 13. Can one kiddo bring Hebrews 3, verse 13 up to me? Church, we have a responsibility. To hold one another accountable to the Word and to lead one another into a right understanding, a holy way of living. And guess what? It's not an option. It's not an option that that I should get up every morning, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer been saved by the grace of God. It is my duty to hold my brothers and sisters accountable to the Word and to encourage, exhort you into holy living and you also to me. You know, it, it's so funny, and it's, it's something that, that we pastors, we talk about a lot, and we try and hold each other accountable, but it's almost like it's no one's fault per se, right? But as pastors, we get put up like on this pedestal. And it's tough. It's tough because we have to hold one another accountable, but we need your all's help holding us accountable. We need your all's help uh, pushing us and exhorting us into the Word of God. I need one of the kiddos' help exhorting me into the Word of God today. Hebrews 3, verse 13. First kid up here. Awesome. Thank you. I think you're going to get two because your brother didn't take one, don't you? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Church, I'm going to read Hebrews 3, verse 13. If you want to go ahead and grab a prize, you sure can. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let me read that again. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Church, every day that we would exhort one another. Now think about that. That requires us to be intentional with the way that we live, the way that we move, the way that we work, the way that we breathe, the way that we commute to work. That we would be intentional with our time. How many of us have thought about a brother and sister that there's like the Lord just laid their name on your heart, and we're like, I should talk to them. The day goes by, the week goes by. We worship with them on Sunday, and it was just kind of in and out. Especially now with these masks, it's like awkward because like I don't know, like I like want to talk, but like I don't know. So the week goes by. And then the month goes by. Months go by. And then what we realize is we've just let all of this time escape. And maybe you've been in the position that I've been in before where that didn't happen, and then you found out that that person was going through a really, really tough time. Now, this shouldn't lay like a burden on you like, oh, you like really screwed up, but it should remind us to never do that again. It should remind us that we should check in And we should also encourage others to check in on us. You see, one of the beauties of serving is letting people serve you also. Church, if if you expect people to to let you serve them, you should also let them serve you. That's a part of service. That's a part of being a pastor and, and talking about things like, it's not always okay for us as pastors. We need served by the church. And the church needs served by us. Each of us play a part. Each of us are a part of the body that the Bible so often illustrates saying that we are all members of the same body and we cannot function properly if everyone's not doing their job. And then what the author of Hebrews says is to do this, exhort one another daily so that we don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because what happens is, is just like the Israelites here, we see those who don't worship God, don't care about God, and could care less about God for the rest of their life, we see them do well here on earth, and we become hardened, not necessarily by our sin, but by their sin and prosperity. But God has not assured us prosperity while we are here. There's actually one thing He has assured us, and that's persecution. That if we believe in Him, The world is going to despise us. It's another reason to encourage one another. Because while your church member, your family member in Christ, is going out to work, and they're being open about their faith, you can be, rest be assured, they are getting some kind of pushback, some kind of backlash. They need encouragement so that they don't become hardened. You need encouragement so that you don't become hardened. I need encouragement so that I don't become hardened. We were not called into this lone wolf mentality. We were called into the family of God to do life with the members of the family of God. We, as a whole, need to be distinctly dependent and trust that we will be distinctly remembered, point number three, by the Lord. Look at this. We see the line drawn in the sand. Verses 13, 14, and 15. These are those who might be a part of the visible church, but are not a part of the invisible church. Verse 16, we see those who are a part of the visible church. We see God's covenant people living as they should. And what does the Lord say of them? It says that the Lord in verse 16 paid attention and heard them. Not just that, but a book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. Now we read about three different books, right? We read about the book of life and a couple other books. This is the only place where you'll see this kind of phrasing as far as a book for the Lord and by the Lord. And it's a book of remembrance. And we see the same thing in Esther. Maybe some of you all were with us back when we read through Esther. Maybe you've read Esther. Esther is um, the other side of the Babylonian exile when the Israelites had gone back to Jerusalem, but Esther accounts for the people that stayed back in the Persian capital. And what's it say? Esther uses her position to care for God's people. She leverages her position for the Gospel. She leverages her influence for the Gospel. Mordecai, we read about in the story, does something very good for the king that saves his life. One night, the king can't sleep. Any of you all ever have trouble sleeping, kiddos? Yeah, absolutely. Thinking about games. Games are on your mind like, what do you think about um, Dutch Blitz and stuff, right? That keeps me up at night too, Jude. So, we think about things and it keeps us up and we can't sleep. Well, in Esther, we see that with the king. He can't sleep, but what does he do? He has someone read the book of remembrance to him. And while he's laying there, it comes across the good deed that Mordecai had done for him. And that, that saved Mordecai It helped his life, and it helped the life of God's people. Right here, we see this book of remembrance. And we, church, remember all too well the things that we do wrong. We remember all too well the things that others do wrong. But we should know and be assured and comforted in this truth this morning, that God does not just remember our bad, but He remembers and takes account of our good. He remembers these things. That every decision you make in your life when you are faced with the opportunity to sin or to follow and pursue God and His truth in that moment, God takes account of that. And you may not see the reward or the blessing in that moment, but you can be assured the Lord saw it. And you were sanctified in that moment. You were made more into His likeness in that moment. You were sanctified in that moment. What does the Lord say about them? He says, they, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Band, you can go ahead and come back up. Verse 18, we're going to close out here. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. Church, there's a distinction. And I want to ask you right now, without anybody answering out loud, what is the difference between those that are distinctly bad and those who are distinctly dependent? Because we lean here at New Hill Church on this doctrine of total depravity. And the best way to understand that is not every man is not as bad as he could be, but is as bad off as he can be. Meaning we're all in the same boat separated from the Father apart from the Son even though we may not do or pursue the most immoral thing and most immoral actions that we could do here while we're on earth. But the difference in the two is that there's been a heart change. You want to know the difference between a believer and a non-believer? It's not their deeds. It's not their actions. It's that the Christian has surrendered their life to Christ, showing the world that we are totally dependent on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you want to go out and be an ambassador for Christ this week, be fully dependent on Him. Don't let the world tell you that that means you are weak and that you are not good enough. Because it's not true. The Lord is calling you to lean on Him. To lean on not your own understanding, but His understanding. Not your will be done, but His will be done. Everything the Scripture does is to point us to Him. To lean on to Him, to love Him, and to serve Him in everything that we do. So church, as we go out this week, I pray that we would seek the opportunity to put Jesus into perspective. And as we are, we are pushed back, as we face backlash and persecution, we understand that, that we share in those sufferings. We share with Jesus Christ. And that as we're persecuted, we would be reminded to exhort and love our brother and sister in Christ because they are also facing persecution. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much just for this church family that You've you've called us to. God, I thank You for building Your church. God, I thank You for sending Your Son to die for Your people. But God, I pray right now that we'd be encouraged. Maybe the week behind us was rough, or maybe because of today, because of Your Word and the command we face from Your Word, we know that the weeks ahead and the life ahead is going to be really rough. God, You've saved us and called us to an eternity in Your presence. The sufferings here compare nothing to the glory to be revealed. God, I pray that we would see this call and this command out of Your Word for our life. We would take it and we would run with it. God, I pray that we would would link spiritual arms together to know that we each need lifted up. We each need built up in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we are called to do that together. And I pray that we would do that faithfully. God, and that it would be for our good, for our community's good, and for Your glory. God, and I pray for the person here that has not accepted You as Lord, has not surrendered their life to You, has not confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is their Lord. I pray that You would draw them to Yourself. I pray that You would save them. I pray that we, the church, would disciple them. God, I pray that You would just be with us Encourage us and comfort us. Lead us as we go about today seeking change in our life and calling others to change in theirs. Father, we love You and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.